Due to new federal laws governing tobacco and nicotine use, including the marketing and dissemination of product information, Vaping Weekly is now only intended for adults aged 21 years and over. If you live in a state or jurisdiction that allows for younger, this podcast is then for those over the age of 18 years. Listener discretion is advised. is passing a law to target those who drive with kids in the back of the car is discriminatory and it's a shambles, she says. <laughs> Here's the thing, if we carry on her logic, prisons are discriminatory against Māori because, well, 50% of the jail population is Māori. White-collar fraud, well, that unfairly penalises white males because without the really boys to do that. Um, road taxes discriminate against car roads, you get the... Tohu Uri Aotearoa o te tau, a tokorua o te tokotoru nei he Māori. Ko tohu atākuta Mārewa Glover, moāna mahi nui te ao hauora, i nā hoki āna mahi nui ke mutua i tāte Māori momi tūpeka. Ko roa a Mike King, a kai whakakata tāngata i mua e kaweana i ngā kaupapakawaroa. If you just look at the women who are mums, young mums, so 45% of women aged 24 are Māori women smoke. If you look at Pākehā women, only 12% Pākehā women. So why isn't so the message got through? Why is it why are they so, so stubborn? Yeah, why, why can't they put this out? It's the delivery of the health services, of the health promotion. So most of the people working in health promotion in New Zealand are white middle class women and they're not the best messengers, they're not getting through, they're not effective at reaching more independent as a researcher now than I ever was and that's pretty freeing Uh, and I can, especially as an indigenous person, because we always, if working for government, always have to be very, very careful of what we say and now I can be more uh, critical and open um, about criticising the racism that's endemic here in New Zealand. Hi, my name is Michael McGrady, and I want to welcome you to the second episode of Vaping Weekly Unfiltered, our special edition interview that occurs eh, sometimes randomly with experts and figures in tobacco harm reduction to discuss unscripted their work and their views on vaping. Today's interview is with Marawa Glover, and she leads the Center for Research Excellence in Indigenous Sovereignty and Smoking based in Auckland, New Zealand. This is our unscripted, uncut conversation. I hope you enjoy it. I I think we're seeing a lot of uh, bullying in this space against researchers. Um, you're a victim of that, um, sp- specifically for being the victim of false statements from respected public health uh, people who are supposedly scientists in the New Zealand public health system. Yeah, there's a lot of bullying, people misusing their position. Uh, being you know, a professor in a university is, is very powerful, you know, and people need to be responsible with that power. And I see a lot of people uh, exploiting their position and the power they have, that they are seen to be respected, that they are professors and therefore uh, should be believed and, and must be credible because the university has put them in that position. And 
to bully people and to write lies about them from, uh, you know, that is a misuse of, and I believe a breach of university rules uh, to do that. But that is happening across the world in the States, in New Zealand, <clears throat> in Australia. And, and uh, are there like just a lot of professors who have unfortunately you know, committed suicide or self-harm because of these, I hate this term a lot and, you know, I might get some uh, pushback, but, but these lynch mobs that really are trying to repress research that isn't complementary to the status quo. Is that? Yeah. yeah there's a, form, a phenomenon called mobbing and there's been a lot of research into that, some great books, and it explains how in universities, particularly, uh, there have been a number, over 300 professors, associate professors around the world have committed suicide as a result of their colleagues and the management basically piling on and accusing them of thing, making false allegations. And it, it's interesting reading that research. It's, it's horrible that it happens, but they change the allegation over Time, you know, different decades. One, it might be sexual harassment. One, uh, racism. Another decade, and uh, embezzlement of funds. And these stories are made up and spread throughout the university about a person, and their whole career is wrecked. Um, they usually have to leave. Uh, and yeah, so it's it's actually very serious. And I don't know what we do about it. I see the academy. There's a huge breakdown there. We see that with the misinformation and fake science, uh, science that isn't even science, it's just lobbying or advocacy research, as we call it, where researchers, they want to push government to, say, increase the taxes on cigarettes or, say, remove tobacco from retail outlets and so they'll have a very restrictive policy. They need evidence to convince the policymakers to do it. So they go and conduct a survey to create the evidence to back up their argument and dupe the politicians into applying the policy. So that isn't scientific research, and that sort of thing is happening all the time. The students, I worry about students in universities because if that's what their professors are doing and I've even reviewed some course material where it's just propaganda, it's just, um, you know, the professors, the lecturers pushing their own ideology. They're not teaching students how to read research critically anymore and we're going to see huge flow-on effects of this breakdown in the education system, in the behavior of academics and universities. You're right. And in general, you know, academic freedom is a very contested topic. And a lot of people have different opinions on academic freedom. Uh, one, you know, in the United States, there's the whole phenomenon that, uh, you know, liberal, predominantly progressive liberal colleges are not welcoming to to conservative uh, right right wing students. Uh, you know that's actually been very well documented. Yes, it's been kind of it, uh, it's been very very exaggerated by both sides, but there's still you know that whole mob mentality 
uh, when it comes to a liberal student entering a conservative co- Christian college or a uh, um, a conservative student entering a very uh, progressive flagship research university. So it's it, 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 it I think it's happening in a way that professors are kind of advocating for their own academic freedom while they should be also advocating for the academic freedom of their students. Oh, yeah. Academic freedom is gone. I can tell you that for sure. Where you have a, you know, basically the education system has been commercialized. It's all about the money. It's all about bums on seats. Uh, and in that case, if universities have shifted completely to that uh, business model, academic freedom is out the window uh, and it, it's all about towing the line, looking after your customers, don't get on the wrong side of government or, you know, or big, you know, not big business, obviously, some big businesses, if, if that's where you, or certainly philanthropies and, um, philanthropists who give you huge donations. So we really have moved way away from the historical purpose of a university and I, I don't know if that we can ever get that back. It's, um, it really hurts that that's gone and to lose respect for an academy I was part of for, you know, over 20 years and I just don't trust it anymore. And I think a lot of people in the public don't, don't trust it. A lot of people don't know. You still need a yeah. degree to get a job. So people have to go there, but, um, when employing people, how do you know that this person, the degree they have, we have PH, people with PhDs who, oh, people working at the World Health Organization producing incorrect the reports that are so full of basic errors that it's really frightening, mm-hmm. Michael. And it, it seems like it's in, a, it, in, to me too, but you especially, it seems like it's a very emotional topic. It's, um, it is, a uh, this is your life. And, you know, I've only been in public health research for a couple of years. You've made your entire career out of this. And it's, um, it just seems to me that you have a lot more pent up anger about this than, you know, another researcher who's, you know, brand new PhD candidate, uh, would have who may have similar opinions or whatever have you. I still think like an academic I, uh, and a public servant because I worked as a policy analyst before that. And, you know, I sort of, it, it's a difficult uh, shift to make in my brain. You know, now I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I have my own business now. I'm independent. And actually that's a pretty amazing thing because I don't have, I don't have those people over me anymore who can threaten to pull my funding or who can, th- who can threaten me. I'm independent. I'm more independent as a researcher now than I ever was, and that's pretty freeing. Uh, and I can, especially as an Indigenous person, because we always, if working for government, always have to be very, very careful of what we say. And now I can be more uh, critical and open um, about criticising the racism um, that's endemic here in New Zealand and what's happening to indigenous people around the world. Um, it's very uncomfortable for the establishment and the colonizers and the ones in control. And yeah, I'm going to get 
I'm going to get roasted from time to time for speaking up. That's uh, that's how they roll. Yeah, and you know, I, I, I uh, you know, we're almost nearing the end of our time, but the uh, interesting aspect is, given that you are Maori, Maori, um, you uh, are even receiving pushback from people in your own, uh, you know, social circle, your own indigenous group. And it, 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 it just seems like those types of people are kind of in the mindset, oh, I want to help, but why would we trust this woman who is taking money from a foundation who supports these cigarettes? You know, like that's, yeah, it's well, the they, same they, example. They're listening to the lies that are being told. And, um, just quickly to wrap up, share, um, a word we have here, uh, that used to be used in the early stages of colonization and the word is kupapa and the British colonizers they brought their army here to uh, quiet the natives and they employed Māori as soldiers to fight against their own and we called those people kupapa and that same phenomenon still happens where the crown employs Māori to deliver the punitive and nasty oppressive policies so that's the trick you know what we we say here like research that say by a pakeha the whole point of the research is to create negative results about those you know naughty natives and what they're doing and not towing the loan and they will employ Māori researchers to roll out the brown carpet and make it seem like it's safe to enrol in the research to, you know, so this is still happening. Um, I, I, uh, young people especially are employed in public health. They're told what to think, what to say, young Māori, and nobody's there to tell them it's not true, guys, you know, they must no one's there telling them focus on our agenda what is important to Māori how do you know that is that the case for Māori you can't believe the Pākehā professors how can you you know but they are this is what's happening so I don't blame them it happened to me I've been through that myself I've come through that system and I can look back and go oh my gosh I used to say that nicotine was that 50 milligrams would kill an elephant. That's what I was told, and lots of other things I was told. And I trotted it out, and I went and taught it to people, and I was wrong. Yeah, and, I remember the lecture on that. It was yeah pretty interesting. Oh, uh, mm. uh, and you know uh, we're at the end of our time. Uh, I think my last thought on all of this is that you know. New Zealand, even though it's a, it has democratic uh, features, is still a monarchy. It's still a, you still have a sovereign, and um, I know it's a constitutional monarchy, and you know the Elizabeth II doesn't really have any power, but it's still kind of just as you said, it's still that institutional mindset that um, there's supremacy uh, of a certain person or a group of people literally on the other side of the world and it, it's it's just it's to mind me i think boggling. Const- <laughs> mind boggling they oh, were yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Like a soft 
still like a soft imperialism. Yeah, the the, the British. There are five colonies. Uh, the states, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and Israel, and uh, you know they needed that. That's we're still colonies, and a lot of people still have that mindset. I'll go down the colony. I can't get a job in the UK. I'll go, I'll go to New Zealand, or I'll go to Canada, get a job there. It's I don't know how we're ever going to break that. I mean, there's a lot of sort of talk of um, you know becoming a republic or something, especially in Australia, but. Um, that's what we are. Um, in New Zealand, we have a Treaty of Waitangi, which was drawn up between the British Crown and Māori, some Māori chiefs. Um, they've breached it over and over. We just keep, um, we just keep fighting for our rights and to be recognised and to have the, the role in governance that we <laughs> negotiated to have. We'll just keep mm-hmm. going. Well, you know, that's, that's great to hear. Um, I think a lot of people, even if they are European by descent, like myself, would agree with you because you, you, you don't want to have a foreign power constantly over your, your head. And that goes for really any person in any nation state who wants to live a free life. You know, that's why we're, you know, I consider us lucky to live in such, you know, democratic societies. But, you know, you still have the influence of countries like Russia that completely sway elections in the United States, or you have uh, gigantic oil companies um, taking uh, Arab countries by, by, uh, by hostage. Uh, so, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting phenomenon. Yeah. Meryl Glover, everybody, um, thank you so much. It was great talking to you. Um, and again, thank you so much, Meryl. Well, thank you for uh, speaking with me. And, uh, you know, on the fringes out here, on the blacklist, it's great to, it's great to be called and to be talked to. And, and uh, oh. thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. I, uh, I admire your work. You know, that book you signed for me in that bar at Washington, D.C. when we were at the Global Tobacco Nicotine Forum in last September. You know, I, I, I've read through it twice already. My wife's reading it. She's intrigued by you. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a, you, you are a phenomenal person. You are a, uh, you are a great, uh, great talent, great, great source of information. And, you know, the world's lucky to have you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you think? We really hope that you enjoyed the interview. Thank you to Marawa. She's a tremendous talent. And, you know, thank you to you, the the listener, uh, for your support and continued patronage. Uh, You can donate to our show at anchor.fm. Just click the link in the episode description. Till next time, this is Mike McReady for Vaping Weekly Unfiltered. want to thank you again for listening. If you haven't already, check out my latest interview with David Gorlitz, the Winston Man, in our first episode of Vaping Weekly Unfiltered. A new Unfiltered interview is coming very soon. You can listen to Vaping Weekly on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just click search, type in Vaping Weekly, and click subscribe. 
Vaping Weekly is created and hosted by Michael McGrady. The editorial team for VapingPost.com also produces the show. Sound design and recording of this podcast are done at Perihelion Creations in Monument, Colorado. Vaping Weekly is presented by Anchor.fm. We are independent of vape tobacco.